You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Well, hey, aloha. Welcome to Shorebreak. Why don't you guys turn your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. We are in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, and my name is Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we're so glad that you guys are joining with us. I'm going to guess this crowd, not the football fan crowd at all, not too much. I know like a lot of people came to the first one because they're like prepping for the Super Bowl party, but nonetheless, we're glad that you guys are here and joining with us. We are in Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is a book written by, I believe, King Solomon. Someone who was a powerful, wealthy, influential, wise person. And Solomon has endeavored with his life, experimenting with his entire life to find out, to seek out what pleasure he could find under the sun. Is there meaningful? Is there meaningfulness? Is there purposefulness in the chaoticness of this world, of everything under the sun? And we know that Solomon first exhausted all of the pleasure under the sun. He partied, and he partied like crazy. And what did he say at the end of it was? Like, hey, Solomon, what did you get for partying? What did you get for having a great time? A great time. What else, Solomon? Well, that was it. He didn't get much of anything from it. And so Solomon exhausted that lifestyle, and so he turned to work instead. And from chapter 2, we learned that no matter how much we work and no matter what type of success we see, didn't matter if we were rocking the lifted pickup truck or if we fly in on our helicopter to our business tower, Solomon said, no matter what type of work you do, work under the sun is meaningless, and most of us are working ourselves to death. And there is a frustration, there is an anger when we turn to our work, when we turn to our success, because when we turn to our work and we turn to our success, we often use that as a functional savior, thinking, well, hey, now that, that, that I'm doing successful, now somehow that can play a role as my functional savior. I can find fulfillment. I can find my identity. But we know that no work or success can fix what is broken in our lives. That buying that next thing, that getting the raise, uh, having a successful career, or being good at whatever we put our hand to, Solomon says, if it's under the sun, it's not going to fix you. And many of us do that, don't we? We turn to our work or we turn to our own success, hoping, praying that that somehow will deliver something for us. Thinking that that, when I get the raise, when I get the job, when I work, but Solomon says, no. No matter what hard work you do under the sun, it is a great evil, full of sorrow. And he says, even in the night, his heart does not sleep. See, apart from God, we remain broken, left trying to fix ourselves. But in Jesus, we can enjoy the reality that it is finished. It is fully done. Because work says, do more. Try harder. But the gospel says, no, it's already been done for you. It is finished. 
There is nothing left for you to do. When Jesus was hanging there on a cross and when he was crucified, what did he say? It is finished. And so with that, we now arrive at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which is probably, no doubt, the most popular uh, section of verses in all of the, the book of Ecclesiastes, but probably all of the Bible. I mean, you look at Ecclesiastes 3, even the, the secularist knows full well, the people who know nothing about church probably know Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Some of you who are older, you know what I'm talking about, the birds. You tracking with me? Raise your hand if you know the birds. Okay, a few of you. You know what I'm talking about? Turned. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to sing. It's, it would be bad if I did. But nonetheless, uh, they sang about it, and even Coldplay's uh, song, Clocks, is has truths that are carried from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 within it. So though it's something we all know well, don't let its popularity brew complacency. Just because it's well known does not mean it's well understood. And so we turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1, which says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance." A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from all of his toil? I have seen that the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that nothing is better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone who should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil, this is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it so that people fear before him. That which has already been, that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask and we acknowledge that in your glory you would show us what you've spoken through your word. God, we we need to hear certain truths about who you are. And God, there are things that we bring to the table. We bring our own perceptions of who you are. And by your spirit, would you break those and shatter those this morning? For God, we cannot even begin to understand or comprehend your glory, your vastness, your goodness. And so through the help of you, Holy Spirit, would we believe, would we take to heart, would you open up our souls 
and awaken our dead bones to realize who you really are. We dumb you down. We try to take power away from you. May we recover awe of you, God, this morning. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, though it is well known and well popular, is often taught, I've heard many sermons on it actually, as a, as a chapter that is primarily about time. Now, time is somewhat of what this chapter is about, specifically the first half of the chapter, verses 1 through 15. No doubt time is a part of it, but time is not the main aspect of Ecclesiastes 3. Time is the tool which points us to God and attributes of God. So, it, so though we will look, because that is where Solomon takes us about time. In fact, if you look now at verse 1, he says, For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. So that is where Solomon here is taking us. That there is a time for everything. But again, we can't get caught up in time because the time is a tool that is pointing us to a great truth about God of which we will soon endeavor and uncover. But speaking of time, early church theologian Augustine said, What then is time? If no one asks me, I know what it is. If I wish to explain it to him who asks, I don't know. It isn't that true. That when it comes to time, we know what it is because we live in it. We experience it. We live by it. If you're late so much to work, you're not going to have a job soon enough. We all know what time is, but to explain what time is, it is difficult. But what we do know about time, the truth about time, is that you and I all share the same amount of time. That you have no more time than I do, and I have no more time than you do. That is to say that we all have 60 seconds to a minute. Every day has 1,440 minutes in that day, and we all share for each year 365 days per year. We all share that aspect of time. And what Solomon is Going after here, our author, the author of this book, who is a king, who is wise with all of his wisdom, with all of his power, King Solomon is going to attempt to control the outcome of his life. And he realizes that from the fool to the wise, time is so yet so real, but so uncontrollable. That it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter how much power you possess, can you control time? That's what Solomon is doing for us. Because time is so real, yet so uncontrollable. And so when it comes to time and urgency, maybe you're the type of person that, that lives by the clock. You always, you're here five minutes early before church started, and you're like, we're making sure. Or, or maybe you're, you're, kinda, you're on island time, right? We saw you walk in 10 minutes late. It's okay. We still love you. You're welcome to be here. But, but you're maybe a little bit more on island time. And so you kind of cruise in. You kind of do your thing. And sometimes we think, well, if I'm negligent towards time, then I can kind of brush it off. Or if I'm living by the clock, then I can kind of control it. But the truth about time is no one can ignore it, and no one can control it. 
And in this wisdom literature, in this poem, Solomon invites us into observing time and carries us with him to say, and look where time takes us. What does time reveal about life? In verse 1, he says this. He introduces us. For everything, there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. You read through that. Okay, that's great. I know what he's talking about here. This is some very, very powerful and deep truths that we arrive here at Scripture. Solomon here is saying that every season, for every season, there is a time for every matter under heaven. Notice he doesn't say, like we, we've become familiar with the term since we've been going through Ecclesiastes, uh, under the sun. Everything that happens under the sun. And when Solomon is talking about things under the sun, he is talking about things under the sun that are broken in this world. Things that are fractured in this creation from Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. But what Solomon is saying here is not just under the sun, but there is a season for everything under heaven. Now what happens in Christianity is we apologize for God. We dilute God's power and we often will de-God God. (laughs) We try to make his throne a little bit smaller. We try to give us a little bit more power. And Solomon will not let us do that. There is some things that we need that need to be cleared up here in Ecclesiastes as we endeavor to understand what these verses in this poem is all about because they're often misunderstood. And so if you're a note taker, if, you're, if you mark up your Bibles, you should circle and underline the word season and write that in your notes because for everything, he says, there is a season. What does he mean by that? I think we have to step back. You know when someone's working in an art piece? And you see them kind of starting out on some of the shapes and parts of the drawing. You're like, so what are you drawing? What do they tell you? Like, you'll see. You'll find out. What happens is we get so close to the, can- the, the, so close to the artwork, we forget to step back and observe the beauty of the canvas. And so what we need to do is step back. And what does Solomon mean here by season? You can turn to Isaiah 46 if you want. Um, it's just a couple of books actually to the right. Isaiah chapter 46, uh, God is speaking here through the prophet Isaiah. God is talking about himself. God is speaking on his behalf from his own authority here. And what he says in Isaiah 46 verse 8, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. So what is Solomon, or what, is, what is God saying here to us? Remember Recall, you have a tendency to forget how powerful I am, to forget how glorious I am. So remember, recall, you transgressors. God just threw that in there for us. Remember, you're a sinner. Remember, everyone in here, we are all transgressors. That's what he is saying. Verse 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things yet not done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. How much so? 
calling the bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, I will bring it to pass. I have purpose and I will do it. God here is declaring truth about his power that no one else can declare. In fact, he says that I call the bird of prey from the east and a man of my counsel from a far country. So what are you saying here is God's like, in my sovereignty, I call the bird to fly where the bird goes to go get food. Can you do that? Can you, in your control of your own life, call, tell birds where to fly? Where are you going to flock? I was raised in um, Southern California, and, and there's a city there. It's called um, San Juan, and, and every year they have this thing called the Swallows Day Parade, and it's a parade celebrating birds. It's weird, I know, but they celebrate the, the coming of these birds, and they come every day. And I used, used to think going to this parade when I was little, all right, we're throwing the parade, so that means the birds must come. And I was corrected by my parents, like, no, no, no. Because the birds come, we celebrate the parade. Oh, I mean, we don't control the birds? No, we don't tell the birds where to fly. We don't control their internal compass. But God says, oh, yeah, but, but, but I, who am sovereign, all that I will is accomplished. I tell the birds where to go. In fact, he even says, the man of my counsel goes from, comes from a car, far country. It is a truth that God is sovereign, ruling in heaven from his throne, which no enemy could dethrone him from, and no one could ever manipulate. Like God, we can't pull a fast one on God. God cannot be manipulated. We can't change God's mind. And in observing time, what our Solomon, what our preacher Solomon here wants us to see, that God sees all of time. Going back to Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times and things that are not yet done. So God sees all of time from the beginning to the end. Everything is known by God, which means what? God decides. God sets into motion. God makes known the beginning from the end. Now this is massive, isn't it? Because we don't have that perspective from God. We don't have that power of God. Now, if we live a long life, maybe we're, we, we'll have 100 years. And the person who is older has a perspective than those who are younger, looking on life, understanding outside of time that just stuff happens. Things happen, especially under the sun. But longer than the oldest person, God has everyone beat, and he stands outside of time so much so, like we said, that he tells the birds where to go get food. And he con- says, man, you're going to go there. And, and the man goes. No wonder God says, no one is like me. He determines the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And everything that God wills, it happens. So God is in completely, totally, utterly in control of everything. And when we say that, that is what we mean when we say sovereignty, that God is sovereign. God never has to improvise. God never has to, to change things because they happen. Like, oh, I got to think of a new idea on the fly. I didn't see that one coming. God knows all. In fact, Revelation twenty two thirteen. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the A to the Z. He is everything. 
God stands outside of time looking at his creation. He's like, I made you. I formed you. I knit you in your mother's womb. And I am over everything. So much so that when it comes down to the times we live and the place we live, well, God also determines that. Now, I know some of you are like, really? Well, if you didn't believe what God said in Isaiah 46... You can turn there later. One of my favorite sections of scripture is Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is writing in verse 26, affirming this truth that God determines the place and the time of which we live. He says this, And he made from one man every kind of nation to live on the earth, on all the face of the earth. Now what does that mean? Well, first, God's like, I created one man, and out of that one man, I created many nations, which uh, my, my personal belief is that at the Tower of Babel, that's when God created many nations. When, when, when you know, these people, and they're building this, this massive, massive tower to, to reach to God, maybe to even avoid another flood, should God flood the earth again, which we know he wouldn't. But, so they're, they're trying to do this. They're building up this massive tower, and God's like, you're not going to do that. And so God changes their languages. And I believe, personally, when he changed the language, he probably changed their skin color, right? Like, man wasn't, I, I, man wasn't born white, just so you know. I mean, you, you look, historically, man pro- was dark-skinned, especially in the Garden of Eden. Amen. There you go. Jesus was not a white guy. Just saying. Like, he wasn't. And so God, that's what, that's what Acts 17 saying, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the faces of the earth, having determined, check this out, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. It's the Bible. He's determined our boundaries, our dwelling place. He has determined the time frame of which we live. Have you thought, played that game with some of your friends at all? Like, what would be your favorite time period to live in? Have you done that? Like, my, my wife and I have done that. We've kind of landed in the 1930s and 40s for multiple reasons. For one, they dressed awesome. Just saying. They, got, they had swag then. We got nothing on them today at all. The 1930s and 40s, they, they had it. But if that wasn't enough, like, like music was better then. Can I get an amen? All right. Like, they didn't have those, like, stupid pitch corrections that they do when you listen to the radio. Like, the voices, like, wind up. It sounds ridiculous. They didn't have boy bands then. Praise the Lord. There is no fantastic Mr. Fox. Come on. I mean, they, they didn't have to deal with that then. Like, the life was, and I think oh, man, my wife and I have at times have joked about, well, if we just lived then, you know, like, but God's like, no, 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 that's, that's not the way it goes. God, and, and oftentimes, especially when I was a new Christian, I viewed God and his power and his sovereignty, like, he would take a spin top, spin it, and walk away and be like, oh, it's just doing its thing now. I'm kind of out of touch. I'm not really involved with my creation anymore. But he cares where we live and the time and the place in which we live. And God cares about those small, intimate parts of our life. He has purposed in his intentionality and in his sovereignty everything, including where we live, what we look like, 
And for everything, there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. Do you see from Scripture how amazing and how big God really is? Like, God doesn't fit in our box. He is far outside of it. Okay, so then what does this mean? That for everything, there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. Where you are at in your life right now, it doesn't matter where, it's not an accident. God has you here because he planned you to be here. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And maybe you think, yeah, but I packed up my belongings. I climbed an airplane. I shipped my stuff on a boat and came over here. No, yes, you may have done that. But God actively did that through you. Or maybe you're thinking, no, no, I mean, I, 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 come on. Dude, I'm, I'm grown, not flown. Come on, man. Oh, yeah, well, God determined that too. Like, we didn't have a choice to decide where we were born. Did you choose your birth? Did you choose your birthplace? Well, God is the one who determines where we live and when we would live in the timeline of all of creation, which means nothing is an accident for God. God has a purpose in everything. So the where and the when of your life, if you've wondered, God, why have you placed me to live? Like, 2014, really, God? Like, all the political things that are happening, twerking? I mean, come on, God, really? You, you, you want me to live now? Yes, 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 I do want you to live now. Yes, I do. In fact, I purposed it. It is my desire. Stop wishing you lived somewhere else or you lived in a different time period. This is where he wants you. And it's not an accident. This is where the sovereign God has called us to be. God has you right where he wants you. This is our God, and this is the God of the Bible. I know it's all from one verse, one word, season. That is what Solomon here, I believe, is communicating about the, about the, the vastness of our God. And so when Solomon says that for everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven, what is he saying? Well, look at verse 2 with me. There is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pick up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Really quick, just so you know, God isn't saying, here is the list of everything you can do in life. Oh, you don't like them? Well, just go ahead, kill them. Kill that ex-boyfriend. Go. That's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is not giving you permission. The Bible is not saying these are things to do. The Bible is prescribing the realities of the dis- this diseased world. That there is death and there is life. That there is hatred and that there is love. Now Solomon here, is asking us questions of which the rest of the Bible is answering. And what is the question Solomon is asking? 
What is the idol? What is the sin Solomon is exposing to us within our own lives that needs to be uprooted, that needs to be dealt with? I believe it is this one thing, and you control, you struggle with it, and I struggle with it. And it's our struggle for control. We idolize control in our life. And what Solomon is saying here in this poem from verse 2 to verse 7 and verse 8, that God uses all of these things under heaven and under the sun to show us that he is in fact in control and we have no control over our life at the end of the day. And that no matter how rich or wise or powerful Solomon was, in the end, he has no control. You and I, we are all slaves to the idolatry of control. We desperately want control because if we don't have control, we aren't in charge. And if we aren't in charge, that means we're not sovereign over our own life. And if it means that we are not sovereign over our own life, it means that we are not God of our life. Now listen, I know none of you would, most of you anyway, I know all of you, most of you probably wouldn't say, yeah, I'm God of my life. But if we looked at the way we want to control things in our life, we act like we're God in our life. We like being God. We want to control the relationship to make sure it's going to work out. We want to control all of our finances to make sure we can pay the bills the next month. We want to control, man, can I have kids? And Are my kids going to grow up and be okay? And so we sometimes some parents overbear on them with too much control. And then some people can't have kids. And they worry about the control of wishing they could have kids, but they can't have kids. And We wish we could have a control. Why did they have to die this way at this time? Why does it hurt so much? And what Solomon is exploiting to us and all of these verses and all the seasons under heaven, we have no control. You can bet all you want on the the horse or the bird, right, today. You don't control the football game. You know, we don't don't control it. We don't control what, what happens. And here... In this poem, what Solomon is saying from verse 2 to verse 8, that there are 14 pairs of contrasting truths of life. 14 pairs of contrasting truths of life. And he says there's a time to be born and a time to die. Time to plant. Now what we do is we like to... We're notorious for it. Pick up our Bibles, and when we're reading through our Bible, go, come to Ecclesiastes 3 and say, yeah, you know, I want some things of life. Like, I, I, I want to modify parts of my life, and we love modifying, don't we? Um, in fact, that's why Starbucks, uh, they have so many different drink combinations. Starbucks says that there are 87,000 possible drink combinations you can order when you step up to your barista and ask them to order a drink. 87,000 drink companies. Why? We love options. We love control. I want the vanilla, and I want this, but I don't want that much, and I want this. And In fact, when I was a barista at Starbucks, I was pretty sure that there were people who made it their life goal to explore all the 87,000 drink options. Like, Lord have mercy on them. Like, every time they would come in, like, I want extra foam. I want no foam. I want extra hot. I want extra cold. I want this. And it's like, ah! Why? Well, we love control. 
Solomon is saying here, it's, this is not a modifier list. You can't say, oh, I would like some healing, not killing. Um, definitely time to build up. I don't want to break down. Uh, I'll take some laughing, no weeping. I'd like some, oh, man, love for sure. You know, no, no hate for me. I don't, I don't want hate. And we think, oh, that's how we can approach life. I, I just want this, and I want this, and this is what I want. Solomon is affirming to us, no, 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 they're in life. Under, not just under the sun, under heaven, under God's rule and reign, there is love and there is hate. There is weeping and there is laughing. There is a time to be born and there is a time to die. We don't get to choose what we want from life. Now, sure, you might have choices to make in your own life. I'm going to love this person, hate this person, no doubt. But you can't make someone else love you, can you? Or you can't make someone, well, you, you can help them make them hate you. Especially if you order like the most annoying drink standing in line at Starbucks, by all means, go for it. I'll hate you. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. That was so mean. I'm totally kidding. Wow. What we would do is we would take all the good and leave out the bad. But what happens to the kid who only gets what he wants and all the good of life and never gets any of the bad? He's a spoiled brat, isn't he? God loves you too much to let you think that you are in control, to let you think you are God. So God, in his sovereignty, permisses, allows, uses death, uses weeping, uses mourning, uses tearing down, just as he uses life just as he uses dancing, just as he uses peace to reveal to us that we are not in control. There is a, for everything, a season, a time for everything under heaven. See, God sees all of time. He sees it from the beginning and he sees it to the end. And God decides, God sets in motion. God makes known the end from the beginning. Now you might be wondering, because I've wondered this, well, why does God do this? Like, why? Well, we have to look now at, turn to the scripture, verse 9, back in Ecclesiastes 3. What gain has the worker from all his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. God who sees everything, who is in control of everything, takes every season of life under heaven, no matter how beautiful or no matter how morbid, and in his timing, he does it to create something beautiful out of it. This cannot help me think but of Joseph from Genesis. You guys know Joseph? Those of you know, who've been to church for a while, you, you know who Joseph is. For those of you who don't, I'll fill you in. Joseph's a 17-year-old boy when we read about him in Genesis. And, uh, and Genesis 38 on, basically for the end of, end of the book of Genesis, is about mostly his story. And so he's like the favorite one of his dad. His dad was named Jacob or Israel. And his dad gave him this coat of many colors. And so, and all of his brothers were jealous of him. I mean, I don't know if it was tie-dye and looked amazing. And everyone was like, I really want that. And his brothers wanted it. But um, he started having these dreams. And so these dreams were of, of 
his dreams, he had visions of like stars and planets bowing down to him. And he knew that, that that was speaking of basically his family, of his brothers and his parents. Now, he didn't keep this dream a secret, though. He told his brothers and his family. Now, how do you think that would go if you told your other brothers that you had a dream about them and that they were going to bow down at your feet one day? Come on, like it's not going to go very good. Oh, on top of that, you're wearing this, this, color co- this, this coat of many colors and all of your brothers are jealous of it. And, and, and what are you going to do? Like you're going to be- get the tar beaten out of you, right? Like your brother's going to beat you up. That's what's going to happen. Like, yeah, brothers, you're going to worship me one day. Really? Well, I'll fix that right now. So that's what the brothers do. Now, you think, oh, maybe they're just going to get a little fist fight, kind of solve this thing in a, in, a couple, in a couple minutes. No, no, no. They like hate their brother. So they take Joseph out um, by this roadside, take him far away. They, they, um, they first take his coat off of him, throw his, their brother in a ditch. They were contemplating on killing him. Thankfully, some of his brothers were like, well, it's not going to happen. Um, we should probably kill our brother. And so um, they throw him in a ditch. They, they kill an animal, spill blood on this coat, go bring it back to their dad. Say, hey, dad, look, I'm, I'm, Joseph's gone. He, he died. He's, he's dead. But we know that didn't happen. <laughs> they sold their brother into slavery. Like, what good brothers, right? You think you've had to fight with your brother? Pretty sure he didn't sell you into slavery anytime soon. So that's what they did. They sold him into slavery. Now, Joseph, at this point, like, sold into slavery, and he's working for this, 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 this governor, this ruler uh, of Egypt. He works for the government. This guy is wealthy. I mean, he is loaded. Uh, anytime, if you have a slave, it's like if you have someone doing your laundry, uh, br- getting your pills all organized for you in the morning, you don't even know what your social security number is. Like, your, 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 your servants know it for you. That was Potiphar's life, who Joseph was working for. And he started as a slave and worked his way up still all as a slave. Before you know it, he's like running Potiphar's life completely. So Potiphar's out on vacation. All right, Joseph, here's the keys to the Ferrari. Go take it for a spin if you want. Go pick up groceries in the Ferrari. Okay, great. That was Joseph's life. And then one day, Joseph, doing everything perfectly well, not, not, you know, not messing around. Um, Potiphar's out on a business trip. And Potiphar's wife decides to go desperate housewife on Joseph. Pulls him down. Is like, you're going to sleep with me. It's time to have sex. At which Joseph's like, you're not going cougar on me. He splits, leaves the coat behind. Now, Potiphar's wife is upset because she didn't get what she wanted. She was like one of those kids growing up who always got what she wanted. And so she's here with the coat. What is she going to do? She just screams. Just screams, ah! And then all the other servants rush in. Well, what happened? Well, Joseph tried to lie with me. And um, yeah, Joseph tried to lie with me. And you know what that ends up, Joseph? Potiphar finds out. He gets ticked. And Joseph is in jail. I will point out, like, come on, God, really? Look, you gave me this dream. You gave me this vision. All these things. What's happening? I'm in jail. I went, he went from being a slave to being behind bars. Seems to be just getting worse and worse and worse for Joseph. And so sure enough, Joseph is in the prison. He works his way up in the prison. <laughs> Ends up being in prison, managing the prison. Like this guy is incredible. He must be an administrative genius. And everyone just loved this guy. And he's like managing the prison from prison, like in handcuffs. Like you should do this, this. I'm like, okay, we'll do that. And then one day, one of his friends um, needed help and needed help with the dream. He gets out of jail. Joseph's like, oh, hey, by the way, don't forget about me. Two years later, totally forgets about Joseph. Good friend, huh? Like leaves his bro in jail for two years. Then one day, Pharaoh can't have one of his dreams interpreted. 
and it clicks. And he's like, oh, man, I forgot about Joseph. So he goes and gets Joseph. Joseph perfectly interprets the dream. Joseph is out of prison. Joseph begins to take responsibility for Pharaoh, so much so that Joseph becomes the ambassador for Pharaoh himself in Egypt, which is the most powerful nation at the time. Like, yeah, a guy. And then he was aware because the Lord told him that a drought would be coming, so they're preparing to store up things to get ready for the drought. And then one day, when the drought got really bad, a bunch of brothers come knocking on the ambassador's palace. Hey, we need some food. They don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. And like any good brother would do, Joseph messes with their heads totally. It's amazing. <laughs> Joseph, like, he's like, oh, you need some food? Okay, well, how's your dad doing? They're like, uh, he, is he still alive? Is, is your dad still alive? Yeah, he's still alive. Okay, here's a bunch of money. Here's a bunch of food. He throws all that stuff in there. He sends them on their way. Then Joseph sends his soldiers to go after them and says, and basically accuses them of stealing money that Joseph gave him. Totally messes with him. And he does this a couple times. He ends up keeping one of his brothers hostage there in Egypt. And, and so much so that it's stressing out his dad. And he's messing with them. In fact, at one moment, they're all sitting down at dinner. And Joseph sits them from youngest to oldest. And they're all looking, like tripping out, like, what is going on? And they have no idea it's Joseph this whole time. And Joseph, at times, would un- uncontrollably weep. He would have to leave the room or order everyone to get out because of all the agony and the pain. He missed his family so much, but of all the things that have happened. And then one day, Joseph breaks the news to his brothers and his dad, and they find out, and Joseph weeps. And his brother's like, are you, you going to kill me? Or, or, I mean, can we at least be a slave in your house? What does Joseph say? Oh, my God? Oh, my God? I'm not sovereign. It's not my call to make. But what did Joseph say? What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. So, so what he's saying is that not like all the evil things in life, God magically turns good. No, no, no. God uses the ingredients of good and evil and creates something beautiful out of it. That is what he does. What evil happens in our life, God intends it and uses it for his good purpose. Did you know that? That God is sovereign. That Joseph would be looking at his own life in his perception of time, because God is outside of time. He can see the beginning from the end, but, but Joseph is inside of time. And you thinking, is Joseph thinking God is sovereign at any point of this? Like God, I mean, I went, he went from being a slave to, or from being free to being a slave to being in prison. At one point, he's like, whatever, God. But God uses all the evil things. Check this out. God used the coat to make his brothers jealous. God used the slaves to bring him to Potiphar's house. God used Potiphar then to bring him into Egypt. And God used the jail and his visions and dreams to bring him into Pharaoh's place. Do you see the cadence of God's sovereignty in it all? There was no accident at all in it. What God does, he does. What God wills, he wills. And listen, listen. God is in the business of taking the evil things that have happened to us or the evil things that we have done, and he uses it for good. Think about the gospel we believe in. 
What does the gospel mean? The good news, right? Why on earth do we call the ugliest, worst day in all of creation good? Because God uses it for good. See what the Pharisees meant for evil, what Judas meant for evil, what Pontius Pilate meant for evil, what, what the soldiers, when they took the cat of nine tails and ripped off chunks of Jesus' body, exposing his ribcage for our sin, what they meant for evil, God meant it for good. That is the God that we worship. What was so bad, so wicked, so mean, God turns it and makes something beautiful out of it. But you have to notice this. You have to understand this. Look at verse 11 again. He has made everything beautiful in its time. You might right now be in a ditch. You might be enslaved to something or you might be in prison altogether. And you look at your life and you're wondering, where in the heck is God? But God, who sits outside of time, sovereignly ruling and reigning, sees all the evil that is happening, and he is working it together for the good, for those who love God, and for those who are called according to his purpose. He sees you set free, but he says, you're going to have to trust me. You don't know how it's going to happen. You don't know the the way everything's going to work out. But you have to trust me. You have to believe that I am sovereign. You have to believe that I am in control of everything. And nothing that has happened to you hasn't gone past me. And because I allowed it, I am going to use it. So right now, let me ask you, do you see your life in light of God's sovereignty? Do you see your frustrations, your anger, your pain, your hurt, the the, the meaninglessness of your life? Do you see all of that in light of God's sovereign plan, his good plan that he is working together? I pray that you would. Well, in verse 12 we read, Solomon continues, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good for as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. That this is God's gift to man. And I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it or nothing can be taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear him. Now that fear is not a a sinful fear. That's a God glorifying fear, reverence of him. That which is already, already has been, and that which is to to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. So what is the response? Because there is a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, time to pluck up, time for embracing, right? Right? For, for Joseph, with Potiphar's wife, it wasn't a time for embracing. It was a time for unrebracing, running away. That for a time and for every season in life, God is using all the good, all the love, all the hate, all the death, and all the birth, all the life. He's using it all together for the good. 
He's making it beautiful in his time. Why? So that right now, right where God has you, because he's determined when you would live and where you would live, right now where you're at, God wants you to enjoy your life. That's what he says. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. So Joseph is saying, enjoy the life God gave you. Enjoy your job. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy your kids. Enjoy your home. Enjoy your food. Enjoy your life. See, Solomon here is giving us permission to enjoy the great seasons of our life. And Solomon is giving us permission to enjoy the horrible seasons of our life. Enjoy life. When you get laid off. Enjoy life when they die. Enjoy life when your health deteriorates. Enjoy life when you don't have a lot of friends. Enjoy life when you have no food. Enjoy life in the face of death. Enjoy the season God has you in right now because he has allowed it to happen to you. This is so true for me. I can look back when I was in the middle of the battle, when I was in the middle of them dying, when I was in the middle of... There was one point in my life where my, 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 one of my best friends, my, my grandfather, uh, died. My mom had breast cancer and we were moving to Montana all at the same time. So God, really? You got a plan through this? Yes and amen, he does. God has placed you right, right where he wants you to be. So stop trying to wiggle away from it. Enjoy life. I'm not saying like, all right, sweet, I'm, I'm laid off. Praise the Lord, I'm laid off. I'm just going to sit. No, I'm not saying that either. But there is a balance of enjoying life and believing that God is sovereign. He is working all things together for the good, for those who love him and for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 14, we close with this. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Just meditate on that for a little bit. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people would fear him Everything that happens under heaven is all part of God's eternal plan. And so what has been is what always will be. And so we are invited by scripture now here to trust in Jesus. Do you trust Jesus with not part of your life, but all of your life? With every financial, emotional, spiritual Bill, parenting, job, play, whatever it is. Do you trust God with all of it? God is sovereign over your finances. God is sovereign over your home. God is sovereign over your relationships. God is sovereign over your kids. God is sovereign over your life. God is sovereign over your health. So you don't have to be in control of everything because he is in control of everything. And what Solomon closes with us here, we skipped it, we're coming back to it now. The second half of verse 11. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. 
God has made you for his eternal purpose and glory. God, even if you're not a believer, God has created everything under heaven. And the broken things of this world that we try to place and we have this hole in our heart and we try to take the car, we try to take the job, we try to take the raise, we try to take the relationship, we try to take the success and we try to take these things and put them in our hearts and they don't fit and we keep shoving them and just like a kid shoving a square into a triangle, it's not working. God has set eternity into your heart and into my heart and when we are in Christ, our satisfaction is full. And everything broken in this world reminds us that apart from him, we are left empty, unsatisfied. Life is meaningless. So in closing, I want to encourage you guys, let God invade your soul so that you don't have to feel like you have to hold everything white knuckle to be in control, but give everything to him for he is good and he loves you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we have to be in your word. That there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven and that even right now, God, you wanted us to be in church this morning to hear what you said. And God, we know the psalmist said that our God is in heaven and he does all that he pleases. God, you do all that you please. And God, would you be pleased with what is happening this morning? Lord, would those who might not know you, might not even have a relationship with you, God, but before they came into church, but now they've come and your Holy Spirit has illuminated their sin and they've believed on you, Jesus. If that is you, you've came in this morning, you believed on Jesus for the first time this morning. Confess your sin to God. Confess the areas where you've been controlling your life. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse you and to forgive you from all unrighteousness. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, you are a Christian. You've been born from above. Give the struggles, give the control, give the anxiety over to him. And enjoy where God has you. Enjoy the finances he has blessed you with. Enjoy the children he has given you. Enjoy the home of which you live. Enjoy the job of which you have. For it is good for us to enjoy the life, God, that you have given us. And God, help us to learn to enjoy the death, to enjoy the pain, to enjoy the lack of finances, the lack of food, the lack of love, and let us enjoy you and all of that. God, we want to be a people who love you, who are mature, who grow in the gospel of you so that we would be on mission, glorifying you, seeing more people come to you, Jesus. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us. We want to love you back with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to 
info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.